Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carl Amuzu. And I'm Glenn Collins. Fosh Church is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Continuing the Conversation is one of the ways that we're trying to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversation we're having at Fosh Church. The world around us points us towards the divine. Creation itself in the Bible is said to testify to the reality of God. Humanity is said to be created in the image of God. Thus, every encounter we have with others holds within it the possibility to reveal God present. All of this defines reality as sacramental, meaning reality itself points us towards the God who is beyond us, with us, and within us. In this new conversation series, Sacramental Reality, we will explore some different rhythms that help us to experience and see this. This week, we will explore the sacrament of questioning through the story of the believing and unbelieving father found in Mark 9. How does doubt and hope help us to encounter God and each other? So let's ju jump into this. Any thoughts about the message before we go to the head, heart, and hands question? Uh, why don't you set us off on that, Glenn? Like, what's been going around in my head over the last week because of this conversation was the gift that questioning um, gives the community and to my own development. Because I'd say um, in my in my tradition, in my upbringing, just the way I um, previously thought about religion and my, my own practice of it had a lot more to do with answers. If I could give an absolute answer, if I could make sure that it was just wise enough, just well read enough that I could have a static point, then I was doing it well, as opposed to what we saw in Mark 9, to where true growth came in that moment of doubt, which asked us to go one step beyond. It was that moment of being able to say, everything that I thought was supposed to work doesn't actually gave the possibility of new life to come in. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I think like in a very similar vein, um, just that that question of how does like doubt create space for hope? And, and, and we'll tackle that question in a little bit. But the part that's really stuck with me based on the message was how people responded to the question. And so it's more just an observation of the community and and the kind of conversations that I've had offline after the fact. And for some, for, for most people, it was, it was a new concept that you could say that doubt has some sort of like sacred or divine aspect to it. That would, that's actually helpful in our cultivation of faith and, and being able to encounter God. And so I just found it, it was really, it was something that for myself personally, I've been wrestling with for, for a long time. And I, I want to say it was, reading Slavaj Zek, I believe, um, the Puppet and the Dwarf book, they kind of just posed some questions that began to unpa uh, uh, un unravel and deconstruct some of the, the, the questions I had around doubt and certainty and things like that. And his question of even, like, does God doubt? <laughs> And, and I don't know if I like, like, you know, like it's a philosophical question that we can't really answer, but at the same time, it was just really interesting posing that, that doubt and divinity can somehow be correlated. And so for myself, it's been a long-term journey of wrestling with that question and then seeing people in the community kind of land into it. And all of a sudden it was like a breath of fresh air for people to be able to say, man, like it, it, it unlocked something for me to be able to think about the way I can cultivate and, and consider my faith. So for me, that was what was really impactful was just the responses to it and, and how, mm. it, how it led into the conversations that we had. Uh, and that's just a good point, because even when we say, does God doubt, when we um, reference God as actually having a full personhood, a full being, 
you have to have like the book of Hosea come to the back of your mind where it actually shows some uncertainty in God to where at first God, I think it's about chapter seven, says that I'm going to send you away. I'm done. Um, it, it uses some rhetoric of I'm giving certificate of divorce. And in the midst of that rant, it all of a sudden turns says, well, how could I do without you, though? Oh, Ephraim, oh, Israel, oh, my cherished one. And it says almost going to go into another honeymoon. And it's with, within those tensions, we get to see that question, of, does God doubt actually present within some of the prophets to where God's doubting the potential for what the future could be. There's those moments of, oh, I would love this to be true, but could it? Let's go on a second honeymoon and try to fix this. Mm -hmm. Well, even like like the, one of the stories that we just unpacked recently, the flood narrative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously like the flood comes about because God doubts that humanity can make any sort of corrective, like creation can make any sort of corrective turn um, away from wickedness and evil for which God wanted to blot everything out according to the narrative. Yeah. And in that narrative, it, it becomes very obvious when God doubts God's own intention with creation, like, like to move it forward, mm -hmm. but then also doubts the action plan put ahead and say, oh, maybe that's not going to work after all yeah. because, you know, it's not going to change anything. And so like for me, at least, I, I think that even in that narrative, like I don't like like with that lens. OK, divinity, doubt, mm -hmm. kind of moving back and forth. All of a sudden that narrative, it opened up something else for us to begin mm -hmm. to talk about. Well, like what does it look like when God repents? And because mm -hmm. I think like repentance um, jumping all over the Bible, I guess, to to, <laughs> <laughs> to quote um, from Romans, like God's goodness leads men to repentance. Mm -hmm. And there's something about there's something about that connection to even like the idea of like God's repentance. And I would say like, that's even the goodness of God in the mix of that, because God is, mm -hmm. is wrestling through this. And so therefore I can wrestle through this and therefore I can be connected. And, and all of a sudden we see mm -hmm. this image of God bearer thing come through. And that also plays out in that whole, whole idea of doubt and hope and doubt creating space for hope and this unbelieving and believing and all these different things happening back and forth. And it's, yeah, for me at least, it, it, it's an amazing narrative to, 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 to play around with. But I just, if I'm, if I'm really honest about it though, sometimes like just growing up in the tradition that I grew up in, it's like, do we really want to let go of the God of certainty? Because even though we're uncertain about it, it there's a little bit of comfort in knowing that God quote unquote knows all. Yeah. Well, it's the notion of like, I can be uncertain because I know you're not. Yeah. Um, and so if we're, if it's this idea that we're reconstructing together, that there's potential and possibilities out there, that are unrealized until we have that freedom to doubt certain moves. Like you said, within the flood, God said, I cannot get to the hoped for end of creation with who's here, slaughters everything. Suddenly goes, wow, actually I have to get there with who's here. Because it uses, as you've noted, the, the same language to describe humanity before and after the flood. The only difference is God saying, wait, you know, maybe there is possibility here. Yeah. So I just thought that was a really cool kind of touch over moment yeah. from where we're where we're we're going and, and just where we've been as a community. So um each week we we you know we unless you have any other thoughts actually on that. Oh no 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 we no. will go down a rabbit hole okay. if we let ourselves go All into right. the floods. So each week we enter into conversation as a community through three sets of questions, head, heart, and hands. Glenn, why don't you uh, just explain that to us? Head, heart, and hands are three levels of um questions that allow us to walk through some framework so that we can do better reflection and storytelling in order to allow us to live out a greater life and faith. The head is constructed, it's the mental notes, the schemas, the way that we think the world works, that we ask a question of structure there. 
the heart is a self-reflective question to where we can say, how does this actually um, echo in my own story or maybe even contradict my story? How do I wrestle with the structure being presented? And then the hands, we ask the most important of the questions. How do we make it tangible? How do we allow a, a new look at the structure and a reflective response allows us to see some of the systems become an attempt lived reality that we can ask, how does the tangible nature of heaven come here? Mm. That's good. All right. So let's jump into the head question. And so in the story found in Mark 9, we see a father desperate to see his son healed. We also see the disciples of Jesus deflated because they were not able to help this man's son. Both the disciples and the father find themselves in a space of doubt, but find hope in Jesus. How does doubt create space for hope? For me, the way that doubt creates a space for hope, it's being able to voice it. Because in this, you had two systems. You had the father that the only thing he really wanted was the life of his son. And he came to what he thought would be right, the holy men. So the apostles in this story, they couldn't do anything. And so when Jesus says, do you not believe? And, he's, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. But it's, it's that moment that says, whatever brought me to this moment, whatever tradition, whatever systems, whatever people brought me to this moment, it can't take me where I need to go. And the same with the disciples when they walk away, because it says they're, they're hanging their heads low and kind of sad that they thought we had power now. Like um, just before this in, in Luke, you get the notion of they were sent out with authority and spirits are obeying them. And suddenly they trip because they thought they had all the answers and said, Jesus, why could we not? But both of them experienced this moment of profound doubt, which in voicing it gave them liberation. Say, how could the story be told better? That without that, it, the doubt would not have disappeared. It wouldn't have dissipated because you suppressed, you hid, or you tried to double down on your answers. It was in the liberation of voicing it and saying, the story that brought me here can't take me forward. That gave them the possibility of writing new stories with Jesus. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I, li I like what you're saying there because I, I would just like tag on to that mm -hmm. to say, from what I'm hearing you say at least, is it was in the vocalization of the doubt. It was in the actually admitting of the doubt. It was saying, mm -hmm. I don't get this. I not, I'm not sure what to do with this. That actually then creates the space for something new to come about. But as long as you hold on to the uncertainty in a way that is is unrevealed per se to mm -hmm. somebody else, it actually closes off any possibility of something new. Um, and so, like for the father, if the father was like, "Well, this is just the way that it goes," um, there's then Jesus has nothing to offer me in this moment. For the disciples, if this is just the way that it goes, and we don't want to admit that we it's not making sense to us right mm -hmm. now. Well, then Jesus had nothing to offer in that moment, right? Like new to offer in that moment. And um, for me, at least like that, that, like, like that, that, that is a, is an interesting carryover that, that I didn't actually even think about till you were talking right there. So I thought that was just a, whether or not you meant it, that's how I heard it. And I thought that was just a fascinating thought about it. I know that's exactly the, the way, at least that I was picturing it for the sake that, um, Otherwise, we may um, elevate doubt and say that doubt is the new faith or doubt is the new certainty. And we adopt this skepticism that says, you well, do you know it's true wisdom if we say nothing can be true. But being able to voice our doubt, saying that there's only growth, there's only potential when we can give name to our doubt, it doesn't create more doubt and it doesn't do anything other than allow us to actually be true to the story we're living because the story's not working because how terrible would it be if the story ended and then the apostles or disciples just started to redo what they've just done and the father's son died there 
while they were screaming these the same acts they've already done said no we have the answers we don't we don't need you to step into this one we have it on lockdown yeah no definitely yeah and like for for me like when i when like the, when i was thinking about this question um leading in for today um it was less reflecting on the biblical text as far as like unpacking the biblical mm-hmm. text but more the way that the biblical text caused caused me to think about certain stories that i've encountered in my own life and so um there was a family friend where the, one of the people in their family was was came down with a really serious illness. I'm just trying to be careful about details just to make sure. Yeah. Um, came down with a very serious illness and everybody in the family was very scared for this, this person thinking that this person could pass away. And ultimately the family, you know, they go, let's go the medical route. These are the things that we know, this is what we do. Well, these things aren't working and it's not gonna heal this person. And so, okay, well, they're also a family of faith. And so, okay, well, we're going to pray it. We're going to pray it away. We're going to pray it away. And, well, this is not working. They're not getting any better. What do we do? Um, and then all of a sudden, like, they, they, they began to explore um, other traditions, in a sense, outside of that, like, wh- whether it was East, like, like uh, Eastern medicine or alternative medicines and, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. Um, and in the, in the mix of that, they were able to find something that it, it, it wasn't a healing thing, but it, it was a prolonging thing. It, it created more space and more time and more health, at least for a season. And it was just really interesting to, to watch that because there was a level of the things that we know to do aren't working. And when we can admit that they're not going to work, they're not working in this moment, they were created space for something new to happen. And so, you know, it was just like that narrative for me kind of played out. It was like, it was like a, a retelling of this story in a sense, or this story yeah. is a retelling of that story. And it just, that's just what's been sitting with me is as, as, as a follower of Jesus, you know, I was raised in the church, um, but I'm also a, a spiritual nomad who, you know, when I was like 12 years old, walked away because certain things just, they weren't, they weren't working. They weren't working for me in that sense. And, but, but you can't really necessarily admit that things aren't mm-hmm. working. So you, so, you just kind of latch onto this new thing, maybe that kind of is working or whatever. And it was only when I finally have come to a place in my own life, and this is like years and years of later in my own journey of going back and, you know, go, of coming back into, into, mm-hmm. into faith, but finding that space where I could say, you know what, like, I'm still not sure how this is working for me, if it's going to work for me. Um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And, and, and being able to come to that place in my own journey for me, I find myself a lot more hopeful because the world the world is full of possibility. The world, like like, and possibility, you know, is a, is a double edged sword. Um, we know not what it could be. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the the phrasing that Caputo used. It's but it's a projectile coming towards yeah. us, and we're 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 not sure if it's friendly or if it's or or if it's you know if it's yeah, yeah. Uh, negative, but at the same or hostile. But at the same time, though it still creates a space for something new. And I think that's the whole idea of hope is like, we know not what, but it's something's on the verge of coming. Something new is on the horizon. And and I think doubting what's come before us is really the only space where that could actually emerge. Oh, that's, that's beauty. And also I'd say, um, at least just hearing your story is with, within that, that allowing that ability to um, express some of the doubt of saying, I don't know why these things don't work. You said it allowed you to come back into your tradition as opposed to what would have probably been if you can't admit doubt a zero sum game 
it's either 100 or it's zero. It, it either completely works in every situation or it's trash that should just be alongside the Iliad. Um, so maybe it's a good historical piece to think about, but nothing that should influence life. And so this seems that doubt actually allowed you to rescue your own faith, which is strange. Yeah, like I wouldn't necessarily phrase it as doubt allowed me to rescue my mm -hmm. own faith, but it was in, in the midst of doubt that I rediscovered my faith, maybe would be language I would okay. use. Just because rescue has a sense of intention to it versus like I stumbled upon it and was lucky not to trip on something that caused me to smash my face. <laughs> you have had much more intentional survivals of things than I have. <laughs> rescue has often been my father and I didn't realize a branch was sticking out over the water we didn't see right. And we were rescued, yay. <laughs> um, so stepping into the heart question, unless you have, okay. Have you wrestled with doubt and hope in your faith journey? Or how have you wrestled with doubt and hope in your faith journey? <laughs> yes, I have. No. <laughs> <laughs> why, why don't you step into that first, May? Very poorly, I imagine, because it's always been present, but I'd say for a majority of my faith journey, it was kind of that shameful secret so it was there, but only to be whispered around certain people. It's, it's not something you honestly claimed. It, um, it would be akin to at least in where I was brought up, everyone would have beer, but no one would have a beer in front of each other. So I became the um, person in my early or in my late 20s that the pastor, the associate pastor, the youth pastor and the elders would all individually be like, oh, hey, Glenn, we, we haven't had some time to hang out. And they'd come over to have scotch or beer to sit in my study. I knew all of them would do it, but none of them could do it in front of, could have a glass in front of the other person. So it became a secretive thing that everyone was scared of. And that is the same way that doubt was processed. Did you we, start spiking people's punches? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, here's a little bit of doubt. <laughs> but it was... It was awesome because when you bring it out to the front, it was like my 30th birthday party that my wife didn't understand that this was a political system, that they couldn't have a drink in front of each other. So she invited everyone that showed up to my house randomly at the same time. She's like, wow, they all have scotch and beer. I better get a few cases put in the middle of the living room. When I came home for the surprise, once the doubt, once the sh shameful act was out in public, everyone's back was against the wall. And I think that's how it's processed is. When doubt is a lived experience, like when they could have a beer in front of each other, they try to distance themselves as much as possible. They backed up against the wall and said, well, no, no, that's not my doubt. That's a friend's doubt. Mm -hmm. um, but it became a healthier environment for everyone when it could become a more open thing that was relational based. And that's been the greatest development in how I've wrestled with doubt. It's once it was voiced, once it became relational, it became something that was life giving. Mm. The more I allowed it to isolate and I would double down on answers, the more isolated and um, I would say dying faith became because it kept getting suffocated under the weight of something that I could not say. Mm. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think I, I can relate a lot to what you're saying in that. So without like just rehashing what you said from my own side, um, <laughs> I think one of the ways that I've wrestled with doubt and hope has actually to be to lean into the more mystic like the, the the mystics and and like the mystical tradition within christianity mm. um i think it's in first corinthians uh oh man i'm blanking on the passage but we see now like a mere dimly lit 
what is that? That's second like Corinthians. Corinthians. Yeah, Second Corinthians five. 14, Fort, I believe. I don't know. It's in there. Uh, it, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant, the, the actual reference, man. But like that whole notion that our faith kind of then represent, is represented by this, this mirror that's dimly lit and we can kind of make some things out, but we can't make it all out. And so we're not really certain about what we're looking at. But there's there's some there, there's some haunts about what we're looking at, like some hints about what we're looking at as well. And that idea of being able to actually lean into that space and say, I don't know what this necessarily is, but I'm giving myself to the pursuit of, of being present to it nonetheless. Mm. And I think for me that that has been a beautiful thing for myself that, that has offered me a lot of space and a lot of growth for myself personally, not even like, not even like when I like, not even to say like spiritual growth, I mean, just growth as a person yeah. where I've been able to say when, when I, when I was able to let go of, uh, having to, to have certainty in, in my faith, it also allowed me to not to have to have certainty in the way that I, I lived out certain other aspects of my life as well. And that also allowed me to have a lot more hope. And so like, even like in this season where, you know, uncertainty is is probably the name of the game right now mm-hmm. we you know whether it's covid or whether it's watching the, the the murder of george floyd and and everything in the aftermath or even the things that are emerging now where you're just seeing this like blatant rise in white supremacy and like racism and again it's it's not a rise as it, as if it was never there but it's just like this notion that it's it's ever present like somebody sent me a text message today that the NCAAP um, NCAAP, mm-hmm. um had call, started sending out like messages to people saying that like there was word that um, whether it was the KGK or some skinheads mm-hmm. or something like that um, in a certain area in in a certain area were planning to have like an initiation thing and were looking to kidnap um, young black mm-hmm. like young black men and, and children and it was just like. The fact that somebody would even get a text or a message that says something like that, it's like shows you the the level of uncertainty in this moment mm-hmm. that 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 is that is arose. And well, and with what you're saying is like uh, you pointed to that it's it's not something that wasn't present within culture, but we're seeing a mask revealing, mask unveiling, in the same way doubt is present no matter how much you usually more present when you want to be so sure of something. But it's in the revealing that you can actually deal with it. Exactly. But I, and I would say that that ultimately, like my, my, my point in all of that is to say that, like, even in the midst of all of that kind of swirl of uncertainty, like, I don't think like I, I, it's not just me. The other people are feeling this sense of hope that's on the on, on the horizon where it's like something feels different about this moment, even though there's a lot there's a lot of nastiness in a sense that's mm-hmm. coming forward. There's something that feels different about this people. Like some people are waking up. Others are are becoming are waking up to to other you know violence and things like that but like something is on the horizon mm-hmm. um and we know not what it is yet um but it's it's something there and and, and i know for myself like i've kind of had this pendulum swing between feeling like this hopelessness in the midst of the season but that was because if i'm really honest the hopelessness came because something eroded the sense of security that i had in that in that moment and as that security was eroded, it, it actually, it, it gave way to a hopelessness at first because it's like, I want this thing to hold on to. That was comfortable for me. And as I, but as I embraced the uncertainty, as I embraced the uncomfortableness of mm-hmm. it all, 
that's when hope began to emerge in the midst of it. And so like, like I think like, like, like from, from a faith side of it, but also just a very practical, like lived experience side of it. I, I've, I've just kind of seen that play out with the hope and doubt in my, in my own journey. No. Oh, that's awesome. Especially since it's so um, tangible in this moment. And just because it would bother me to no end, since there's a few different passages that uses seeing and mirrors because Paul's repetitive, the exact passage you're looking at was the end of first Corinthians 13. So you're right in the first part when you're going first Corinthians, I think you were right. Okay. I just didn't want someone to look up second Corinthians and be like, who are these idiots? <laughs> See, it, it doesn't bother me to no end at all. I, it was already out of sight, out of mind, homie. <laughs> If I was listening, I would have looked it up and be like, I now judge them. <laughs> I can't possibly listen to these clowns. <laughs> uh, so with this, uh, the second part of the heart question is, does your faith allow for questions? And how can these questions help you encounter God and others in a more profound way? I just thought um, you should jump onto that since your answer in the last one seems like it feeds into a great way of seeing the possibility encountering God. Mm. Okay. I'm not necessarily seeing the tangent, but awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, like I think for me, like, like my faith does allow for questions. It mm -hmm. always has. Um, just it, my, how do I put it? My faith is always allowed for questions. Others have not allowed for my faith to have questions would be maybe the way <laughs> that I would state that. And as much as, as much as that obviously has been, it's, it's a difficult thing to process through. I'm I'm really thankful for for that experience because you know FOS wouldn't be what FOS is from like, at least from my my participation in it had it not been for those experiences of watching literally people try to snuff out any sense of questioning mm -hmm. and you know with with kind of trite responses of like God's ways are higher than our ways just like no nah, man let the question sit let this like you know like I think the most profound thing um, somebody in leadership. You know, like maybe we would say, use we would use the language a pastor in a church can do is to actually say, "I'm not sure what to do with that." That you know what I mean? I think it's probably one of the most profound things that church leadership can do and say, "We don't have an answer." But that's a great question. Let's sit in the tension of it because it, it it actually honors the questioning. It honors that space. And so, like, I think for folks, we're trying to create that kind of a space. And and so my faith, in short, yeah, it allows for those kind of <laughs> questions. It does allow for questions. But the second part of that question, and how did the questions help you encounter God and others in a more profound way, is it, it, it beckons us to, to have to, to listen. It beckons us to, to have to ask, like, it, it beckons us to be curious. And I think if you can't ask questions, then you can't actually pursue something. But ultimately, like that encounter is, is connected to curiosity. At least it is for, for me. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of questioning and questions draws us in to this space where we can't help but ask the next question, right? Like, again, like I think we talked about it on, on Sunday where the idea of questions isn't to, to find answers and find absolution. It's to actually get, ask better questions, new and better questions, to lead us into new and better spaces in that sense. And as we, and as we do that, it, it's almost like we're on that whole... Uh, Star Trek kind of like, you know, exploring new territory type thing. And for me, that's a much more profound and beautiful expression of faith than to say, well, here's the Apostles Creed. Here's the Nicene Creed. Well, you memorized it. You know all your answers now. You're good to go. That way is easier, though. 
oh, it's a lot easier and completely abstract to any real intention. I think it was uh, Father Richard Rohr who said, when you read the Apostles' Creed and you read the Nicene Creed, it's like, those are some interesting theological points. Not one of them mentioned love. So yeah. how can you have faith without love? <laughs> Loudly, usually. Yeah. Um, well, for what you pointed to um, and where I thought your uh, last answer was going to be heading into this one, why I thought it was a beautiful segue, was as you said, the everything being shaken, everything being loose and falling apart right now. And you said at first it gave you uncertainty and doubt for what could be, but you said it feels different even though there's been multiple movements in North America towards freedom to talk about the idea of equality, to talk about civil rights, to try to raise or to shed light on injustices that are systemic and prevalent. This one feels different. And the reason why I thought that was gonna be a segue because being able to ask questions of, does it have to be, where is their pain, has given you some hope, especially in recently to say that we don't have to repeat the last patterns. So the last ones, it, have we realized Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? No, but it doesn't mean that we can just let go and say, well, then we never will. Hmm. There's actually something changing, something hopeful, because we can doubt the um, progress of the last age. And we can say maybe those answers weren't the best answers, but we can have new ones. We can ask better questions and with hope, that will be able to reveal the image of God in a shared humanity, <clears throat> a shared humanity where each person can be represented and represented well. No, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, it, like just in that line of thought, just one quick kind of addition to what you're saying. But in in that line of thought, is even the questioning within that part was before was just, just my opinion on it mm -hmm. was there was a certain there was a sense of certainty about whose rights needed to be protected, whose rights needed to be fought for, whose um, injustice needed to be made right. Where the question seems to be now is who else also needs justice in this moment? Who mm -hmm. else also needs rights in this moment? And so there's a lot of questions around intersectionality and, 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 and how does this all cross over? And it feels a lot more like kind of peoples of the world unite than mm -hmm. it does like give me my rights. And just in, in that notion, it it also shows something fundamentally different. It's not just saying, I want my place at the table. It's saying that we need to doubt the table itself. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like, just, yeah, like just the intersectionality of the kinds of questions that are like, like that are emerging mm -hmm. as we talk about this, like especially coming in, like in Canada, for example, like, so the, the massive conversation triggered by the Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. movement, well, it, like, you know, at first people were protesting, saying, okay, well, we're going to protest Black Lives Matter, you know, that, that whole thing yeah, yeah. here in, in Vancouver. But then very, very quickly the question was like, but in Canada, yes, that happens for black people, but who else does that happen to? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we began to ask questions about the indigenous population, like not like, you know, you know as, as, a, as a culture, as a, as a, as a society. Uh, uh, oh, no, that's. Brilliant, because I, sorry, sorry. And I, I would just say that, it, and it's interesting watching that bleed over yeah, because yeah. then all of a sudden now we're asking that question in Canada, which then triggers, I'm, I'm watching it happen in New Zealand. I'm watching it happen in Australia. And then I'm, and it's circling back around into America where um, all of a sudden the conversation is like, 
did you realize that indigenous youth in America have the highest suicide rate? Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, I didn't. I've never asked that question before. Mm-hmm. But because of the because of that whole intersectionality piece, and it's 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 just circling around in conversations, and and and, the, and it's like concentric circles that are are widening themselves out because people are actually being curious about what oppression means. And if we're looking for freedom, and we're looking for justice, we're looking for liberation. It can't just be for quote unquote my people. Yeah. It has to be for all people. And and yeah, that exact reason that I'm. Since uh, I've been a, lived in a few places, some of the people that uh, come across my social media feeds are from my childhood into adulthood to where it was some conservative bases that like to bring in the old rhetoric is like, oh, well, um, these things aren't the important, important issues because what really matters and they um, use different political ideologies like um, communism killed the most people. That's that's the secret disease of culture. And. Recently, I've got to see people respond, uh, being able to pull the indigenous lives like, well, actually, the expansion through America killed 90 percent of the indigenous people um, in America, that it was wholesale genocide. And it was these actions that also need to be seen, witnessed and said that they affected what it meant for the um, First Nations, the indigenous people to actually be communities themselves. Um, and that that's raised a, a lot of questions in the area. You're right, uh, echoing out from this one Black Lives Matter and suddenly saying, I mean, that's the same way civil rights actually happened, is once you had the um, United Nations give a general edict after World War II that said these are basic human rights that everyone signed off on, all of a sudden people started asking when they came back to Canada, when they came back to America, it's like, wow. So we said we're supposed to honor these things in the world, but I'm not a human in my own country. And that created that echoing effect. And yeah, that is beauty since at least I know I was raised in a land that we had eight tribes in the area and um, they were slaughtered down to about two and a half because one kind of survived. And then they're all shoved into um, one reservation to where two of the groups were warring tribes and they didn't care about policing the brutality between the two nations, they just stuck onto one land. And so their lives got lost. And now today, most of them do not know their stories, do not know their language, do not know their people. The only thing they actually remember is like, well, we know Braves fight. That's that's the only part of our story we still have. But mm-hmm. they have, outside of that, they've been um, recently in the last few years, in light of these things, they've been trying to build, what is it to have an indigenous identity in this town that's been um, bathed in their blood? So it's mm-hmm. been, yeah, it's been interesting to see the people um, being able to name and see because other people have said, no, our dignity is worth seeing. No, that's good. So to, to bring that back around to the to the question, um, how does like so how does that question mm-hmm. help you encounter God and others in a more profound way or God or others in a more profound way? Like how does like. Like watching that happen in, in, in your in the hometown mm-hmm. where you grew up and watching this begin to emerge, like what is that doing for your own your own soul, if you if you will? I will. Um oh for my for myself, honestly, seeing these being able to hear um these questions being asked, I'd say that's the big part. Does your faith allow questions? And like you said, some people allow faith for their own questions but not for somebody else's. Um, Being a cisgendered white man who was raised in that town, um, 
most of the questions were from people like me um, that would identify more with a Eurocentric um, knowledge base. It was the First Nations people who told me, it's like, oh, yeah, our um, grandparents tell us when you guys came to the land, you brought the Bible and a gun. It's like getting to hear their their questions of how could this God of love you talk about bring a Bible and a gun actually started to uncover for me my own assumptions of the good news that was brought. Because it's not that good if you kill the people you're giving it to. Um, and it created space for me to hear their experience of the Christian tradition, the pain, the bloodshed to, oh, wow, um, there are things that we need to address and to witness their own humanity. Because mm -hmm. um, we had narratives for what does it mean to be like without their voice to define what it means to be indigenous, we defined it for them. And as the weenus that got to define the other, it was generally not in good terms. It pointed to negative difference from what it was to be a white person in Bernie. And from that negative difference, we couldn't see the beauty of the humanity in light of being able to hear their questions, have room for that. We get to witness God in another person's mouth and another person's voice, which gives a more expansive um, understanding of what it means to be human and be image bearers of God. No, definitely. Like just in listening to that, that that the way that you tell that that part of your story is like it raises it raises questions for me, even in this in or questions that I would be asking or I'm seeing were asked in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. Like one is is how can I see how can I see um, God in in the midst of the encounter of the other two? Um, what would actually be good news to these people? Mm -hmm. So. If, if we're coming bearing something that isn't taken as good news, well, then it, it cannot be good news. And then three, um, what, have I, what have I held on to as good news um, or, or what have I held on to that is as good news that is actually damaging? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth part of it is how does language actually play into that? Because if I'm not mistaken, um, most people wouldn't use a language of how am I bringing good news to somebody? It was like, no, we brought them the gospel. Mm -hmm. We would actually use the word gospel, not the word good news. And the word gospel is completely devoid of any connection to the idea of good news. It doesn't have to be good news because when we give people the gospel, we actually are usually giving them some sort of fire insurance, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, golden ticket type idea, right? Because it's like... If you accept Jesus, you can escape all this, all this other stuff or whatever. So we got to give them the bad news before they get the good news. And people would say stuff and and not realize that, well, the word gospel, okay, let's go back through all the transliteration stuff, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just literally means good news. Mm -hmm. So in no point is Jesus saying, okay, let me give you the good news, but oops, here's the bad news first, right? Like there's none <laughs> of that ever present in the midst of that. And those are the kind of things that are unearthed by just that re like having to the curiosity that, dr that drives the questions in the way that you tell that story. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, even the language I use is, mm -hmm. is destructive. And I have to ask que better questions to get better language, to have, to even be able to, to, to have a conversation that is helpful in the well, mix of that. And one thing you pointed out there that was, um, at least for me, impactful to me say that Willy Wonka and the golden ticket, fire insurance, escapism, is that also ignores that if we say Jesus is incarnate, that Jesus incarnates through the, the body, the church, and that's why we need to ask more questions. It ignores the actual embodiedness of the person you're talking to. Like um, for, and she was a good friend of mine who told me one day, cause I said, Hey, I want to learn some of your guys' stories. And she said, why um, you, the church and white men have only brought us the Bible and a gun. And she said, we had to take one or the other. 
um, that when it's just fire insurance, you could ignore the fact that there's been systemic abuse, genocide, and destruction, that we still take field trips in elementary school to the last um, fight that happened after World War One in the mid-20s where Captain Jack went to a stronghold and we brought in basically um, cowboy versions of the National Guard to come and shoot them and take them back to the reservation land. Like those things, like the 20s, it's, it's a ways away, but um, it's just outside of living memory. It, it's, well, reality is that your grandpappy <laughs> could have been in the mix of that. No, men in my family don't last long. <laughs> so Sir. somebody's grandpappy. <laughs> uh, I was like, we burn bright and soon. But yeah, it's like it. you can have someone living today that actually remembers it. And for most of the people in the First Nations there, there's people that were children of that of that time that they were raised on those stories of the living memory of the last time they fought for their own freedom. But the way we're taught about it is not them fighting for their own freedom because who gets to define the story defines the villains that we're taught about as a rebellion against the rightness of the good news of Western development. We um, got to hear it as, wasn't it foolish that these savages thought these rocks could hide them from the Christian nation. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you would even think Christian nation needs to be something you hide from should raise questions of what kind of salvation you're bringing. So stepping to the hands question, how do we create space for questions within the community? Did you have any insights for that? Yeah, well, I think not to pat ourselves on the back, <laughs> but it's going to sound like that. So I'm just saying it, 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 I, this is a humble brag. Uh, not a weird flex, as you would say, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so humble brag away. Is, I think, is, is starting from the prospect that questions are actually more important than the answers. Like, as soon as we put that lens down or that, that assumption into the mix, is it creates space for people to feel safe to ask questions. Right. So if we as people who are leading the conversation or facilitating the conversation in the community, we lead with questions, not leading, not not leading questions, but we lead with questions. It opens up space for other people to have their questions. And if we and one of the things that I know I'm trying to 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 actually and this is this part here is, is has nothing to do with breaking because it's actually this is where I need to improve. <laughs> Is actually like to actually create space to ask follow up questions versus answering people's questions when they're asked. And I think it's really easy, you know, you come, you know, coming from like an academic background, doing, you know, seminary, that kind of stuff. You you're trained in a sense to to answer questions, right? Like that's well, I have answers. You ask a question, I can tell you exactly what that manuscript said, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, like, what were the scribal additions and errors? Blah blah blah. Like, you know, like you can jump into that that kind of knowledge, and then all of a sudden you realize that blank look on your face tells me that wasn't helpful at all. Which would have been helpful was why does that asking something like why does that question emerge for you? Like what brought that question to the surface and and allow them to actually begin to unpack and unfold and, and allow that their deconstructive process to happen in, in, in the safety of, of seeing it reflected back to them. That mm -hmm. what they're what they're doing matters. What they're doing is a communal act, not an individual act. 
Yeah. And and so for our community, I would say at least, is that we have created space for that to happen. And we have done a, a fairly good job of actually leading with questions. And then a place of self-improvement, for myself at least, is saying, okay, I need to follow up with questions, not just lead with them. I need to follow up with them as well. Hmm. I think you bring a very important point is um, how do we create space for questions within the community will be reflected in how can the leadership hold tension? Because for most of us, um, if you've been raised within the church tradition you've, uh, for the last number of years, I would bet that you got to experience a here's a difficult question night or a impossible question night with the local church. And when you get brought in, you find, like Carl said, it was a leading question because they say, how do we deal with this? And then it was a trite or pat answer. It's like, well, we don't know what we don't know. So we just trust that those um, because they use the question actually poison the notion of questioning that a leader's ability to sit in that tension of either just asking more exploration, like you said, treat yourself like a teacher in a class. If a teacher just answered every question, they'd be a terrible teacher. They usually say, oh. You saw that in the text. How, wh where did you see that? How did you see it? What are you hearing here? To, to be able to unpack those notions. And if we saw ourselves as those kind of facilitators rather than biblical answer men, if we saw ourselves as people who try to help hold tension so that other people could enter rather than those who could define the perfect community, then we might find people would be willing to voice their own doubt and be able to enter in with questions that may not be answerable no doubt, absolutely and again like i i, I know it feels it, it, to me at least it feels like bragging and i'm not trying to do that but i i've been humbled actually by the way that people responded to the type of space that we are trying to create mm -hmm. and that more often than not the response is exactly like what we're hoping for like like yeah. this idea of questioning the sacrament of questioning isn't something that feels foreign to people like that's a great idea tell me more about it it's like yeah, yeah. this is how it happens in our community now mm -hmm. and people reflect that back and so like i feel privileged i feel honored and i feel blessed to be able to say that fos is that space that we're actually honoring the sacrament of questioning and so like that last question almost feels like a leading question for us to brag about the community a little bit <laughs> no. no i'd say it's an experiential question because how have we done it We've given ourselves, like, as people who are being uh, some of the conversation leaders, uh, the freedom to not know but be able to name our readings. So rather than um, us having to come to the table and say, here's the perfect understanding of this passage, we it's given us the freedom to name. It's like, actually, we're reading it from this lens. From this lens, look at the possibilities, look at the beauty, look at the potential. And in naming those lenses, naming those questions, naming those access points, have opened up other access points for other people who said, actually, I can't resonate with that access point. Here's a question I have that drives that part of the text. Here's a question I have that makes it more life-giving or how I've experienced it. And in naming those moments have really allowed for people to say, oh, um, you know, the, a teacher, pastor, or preacher is not from God's mouth to our ears. This is actually somebody asking questions. And it's enabled the community to say, I have questions to ask myself now. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So we're coming to that time where we need to wrap up and we kind of walk through the questions and 
Um, so one of the things that we want to do is always offer a way for us to be able to kind of summarize what we talked about in order for people to be able to come back. And so, Glenn, you, you know, you're the one with the magic gift of being able to summarize. Do you want to just offer us that 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 closing view? So as we've gone through some of the gifts, the sacrament of questioning and how the sacrament is that special act of grace and the ability to ask the questions of the things and express our doubts. We've had the head question, which says, we see the disciples of Jesus deflated because they were not able to help this man's son. Both the disciples and the father find themselves in the space of doubt, but find hope in Jesus. How does doubt create space for hope? And we realized that it wasn't just the doubt in and of itself as though doubt is something special. It was the ability to reveal, to uncover, and, and to express the doubt that is already there for the way the story doesn't work for you, where the narrative can't take you to where you hope to go, that gave the possibility of Jesus showing a better way and gives us the possibility of not just repeating old stories with the same typical endings, that expressing and experiencing that doubt creates the potential for a new ending which led us into the heart, those reflective moments of how have you wrestled with doubt and hope in your faith journey, as well as does your faith allow for questions and how can these questions help you encounter God? And we found that we have openly wrestled with doubt in our journey, but at first it was a shameful act that caused us to hide, to isolate and draw away from the community. As we're able to embrace our doubts and say these are true and not just have new answers, we're able to create room and communities that had room for other people's doubt. And we found that this was a common human experience and that what we need to do most is not just be able to acknowledge our own doubt, but we wrestle in community. So as we create space for ours, it creates space for others. And then together we get to sit with the beauty of community, even in the presence of the uncertainty, because we can't demand how something ends. Going into the hands question, how to make this a tangible reality. We've discovered actually almost autobiographically as we try to develop what could FOS be, that the more that we were able as conversation leaders, as facilitators to admit our not knowing, to name the lenses we spoke from, the more it's invited other people into these spaces of questioning. And we found that the way we could do um, a better way of provoking question was rather than offering people answers to their questions, that we stayed curious about the process that led them to that question. And in that processing, in that reflecting, we would find new questions and better ways to move forward. All right, thanks a lot, Glenn. And so with that, um, just wanna thank everybody for, for joining us to continue the conversation. And always just an open invitation for you to be able to participate in the conversations that we're having at FOS and for all the ways to connect with us, to join the conversations, to be part of what's happening. You can go to www.fos.church. That's www.fos.church. And with that, peace.